Hello and welcome to the very 76th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games and the people who love them. We are coming to you sort of live from a haunted house in America. Um, we are at the Gathering of Friends, which is a annual invite-only kind of private party with board games, and it's in a strange part of America on the border with Canada. And today we're going to be talking about some very good games in many shapes and sizes. I'm joined by Quentin Smith and Paul Dean. What are hello. we playing, boys? Oh my goodness. Uh, hello, Matt Lees. I'm Quentin Smith. You did that already. We're going to be talking uh, today, starting off with some small card games. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Mind, which is way better than it should be. We're mm-hmm. going to be talking about Cardline Animals, mm-hmm. which apparently is way better than it should be. We're going to be talking about Bye Bye Black Sheep, which is way Way better than it should be. Has any right to be, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, really. It's a bit ridiculous. But also large games. Games of in- considerably more scale, such as Bunny Kingdom, also known as Bunny's Too Tight to Mention. That, that's like my that. joke. Yeah, Thank that's you. great. Uh, the new, is it Seth? Seth? Seth Sex. expansion Seth. for, for Seth. Kemet. The hot Kemet expansion. Really, really interesting. We literally only found out yesterday there's another expansion for Kemet coming. And then, yeah, this is hot off the press. And then uh, the most important island games around right now, (laughs) Treasure Island and Fireball Island. Personally, I say I prefer Treasure Island to a Fireball Island. It sounds like a much more relaxing and profitable sort of landmass to be on. We'll talk about it soon. Exciting times. Yeah, but it's nice to be in a room together, boys. Even if it's a haunted room. It's the most haunted room. Uh, So you guys left me in charge of booking the Airbnb. Yeah. It's fine. Well, you say left in charge, you just sort of leapt on it like a man. But it it, it seemed normal. I mean, in the Shut and Sit Down Slack, there was a picture of a house with some rooms, and it looked like like we have this house to stay. Are you kidding? He was like (laughs) posting photos around going, This is going to be great. I've booked as an Adams Family style house. (laughs) Yeah, but you did. It's going to be really haunted and creepy. It's going to be great. Pictures don't look pictures don't look pictures look they don't give the the ambiance and so it just like 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 it's a nice old house that might be 100 years old you don't get the noise from the pictures Matt and I cracked up as we both jogged up the stairs at the end of a long day's board gaming and um, you know Matt runs up the stairs creak 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 I run up the stairs creak creak and as we're both on the top the stairs go as if third person yeah. was following us up the stairs uh, yeah but ultimately I work for the shut up and sit down donors right the people who on shutupandsitdown.com can kick the site a dollar a month or however much they want to support the work we do and help us share board gaming sure and I thought what do donors love they love us having a good time just palling around and I <laughs> thought Paul being alone in the house because we have a layover in JFK <laughs> leave him alone in, in genuinely quite a frightening building if you're a shut up yes. and sit down donor and you approve me spending your money on getting us all in a haunted house so we can find out if there are ghosts there. Have a giggle. Yeah, post yeah. a comment on the site and say, yes, thanks for that. Also, if you are a donor, I've <laughs> got some exciting news. Uh, Paul has been, he's already been putting on Twitter some some short videos of him exploring this haunted house and Quinn's did a little video as well, so we'll put together some sort of daft behind the scenes things yeah. of the horror of this place. Oh yes, because donors get behind the scenes newsletters. But before we get to all the games and all the fun we've had at the Gathering of Friends and just what the Gathering of Friends is... Hey, tickets are now on sale for the second, I almost said first, the second Shut Up and Sit Down convention. In I mean, Vancouver really? This yeah. What's that? Quentin Smith and Matthew Lee. Well, Paul, if you like us and think we're cool and you'd I like do. to come and hang out with us at a party where... Not in a haunted house. Not in a haunted house. <laughs> in a decidedly non-haunted convention centre. Uh, yeah, Shucks last year was just a bunch of 
awesome people met up three days of just playing games meet, making friends going to panels watching us mess around on stage yeah. and uh, once again we're doing it again in Vancouver it's going to be bigger more exciting more new upcoming games to try yeah. and once you've actually once you're into the convention centre once you're through the doors everything's like basically free the board game library is free all the talks are free yep. uh, visiting you know like publishers and playing their games that's free um, making friends that's free because we'll be doing panels but we'll also just be wandering around also I just found that the quality of people we had there last time it was a lovely vibe people were just yes. playing games with strangers everyone just had a wonderful time with everyone there so if you'd like to be a part of that and you live in North America or anywhere else in the world for that matter then do consider popping over to Vancouver and coming to Shucks we've got tickets on the site yes. and no word of a lie everyone, everyone there had a lovely time I think we probably had like the least lovely time because we were so stressed running around doing things but everyone everyone who came and paid money to be there seemed to have a great time yeah, so. it went very well uh, We've sold, I think we sold about 65% of the tickets which doesn't mean like they're all gone but it means they're going so I'd also yeah. tell people probably like think about your travel plans now and think about getting tickets now because we had a lot of disappointed people last yes, time there's we, a lot more tickets on sale but they are we will selling. also say we do have um, a refund policy in place so if you're 90% sure you can go I would say grab some tickets now and if you can't um, you know like shift them later I believe we can do refunds yeah we're not going to be jerks about it yeah Let's jump into talking about a board game. Let's do it. And I want to stress, by the way, because you were pretty cryptic, the gathering of friends, we can Ooh. reveal uh-huh. who gathers these people, is none other than Mr. Alan Moon, designer of Ticket to Ride. Very successful mm. train board game. Holder a series of, of train board games. Thousands of secret handshakes, which they yeah. uh, will not That's reveal until you've been to 55 gathering of friends. Exactly. And But what surprised me the most, honestly, is Alan Moon's a pretty down-to-earth guy, but he does go around going... Yeah, he makes train noises everywhere he walks. Yeah. And then you go, oh, because of Ticket to Ride. And he goes, yes, I made Ticket to Ride the most successful board game of all time. And yeah. Like, yeah. It's entirely fabricated. need <laughs> <laughs> to make it clear that I, I made that a bit too real. It's, it doesn't, doesn't do that at all. But we got off to a great gathering because the first thing Matt and I played with Paul when we got here is Paul yes. said, you've got to play the mind. The, oh, mind. the mind. So I think I've got this nailed down for how to explain this because it is so simple. Okay, and great. It's one of those things where you feel like explaining it takes longer than playing it. But I think I've, I've distilled it. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the mind is a game where uh, it's a cooperative game. All the players have cards that can have a number from anywhere from 1 to 100 on them depending what level of the game that you're at you have that number of cards so at level one you have one level two you have two all you have to do is put the cards down in numerical order Mm -hmm. except you can't talk to each other you don't know what other people's cards say that's it so paul if the game starts and i just happen to have the card number one Mm -hmm. i play that card right well i that seems to make sense well what happens if i have card number two well, you know, if it's level one and all of you have got one card, you could probably quite confidently play the card number two because the other players are probably going to have higher cards, right? You just you make a bit of eye contact, look at someone, but, look confident, <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, that person's got a low card. They but know Paul, what they're doing. wait, hang on. Okay, I think I'm with you. What mm-hmm. happens if I have card number three? It's fine. It's a lot like card number two. Um, I'll give you... Well, I mean, is we've it, had because we've, we've had, had some like... situations because, like, at level one, obviously, it's fine. When, as we know, when it gets to like level five, and you all have five cards, and you look at your cards, and you've got like eleven and twenty-six and fifty-five, and but also because you're only allowed to put down one card at a time. So mm-hmm. when you have card number ten and eleven. It's trying to work out, first of all, has anyone got a number lower than 10? Maybe not. Am I the first person Maybe. to go? But after I've put Probably. down 10, I then need to put down 11 
immediately before somebody else around the table goes, I've got to put down 12 right now <laughs> because there's no way anyone has 11. So I don't want to make either of you feel bad about this. There was a situation before you turned up where I played a game <laughs> with some other people where at one point we just had cards that were in sequential order and somehow magically it was like four people in somehow psychically taking turns just going like 11, 12, 13, I've got to say, 15. you know, it, I would not have believed it if I hadn't seen it for my own eyes, but it is... This game, for a game that is effectively just a deck of cards that go yep. from 1 to 100, <laughs> um, it is... I wouldn't be surprised if it's some sort of like CIA-based governmental psychic training program. <laughs> it, it, you know... Um, the magic tricks are divided into like tricks you have to like learn and involve sides of hand but then there's also mm-hmm. just tricks you buy yeah. like if you buy a rose that emerges from a newspaper that's just a bought trick yeah, yeah. Ma- the mind feels to me like a bought magic trick yeah where you start playing it and then like you will have a tough round where you make no mistakes and you just play like 11 and I look at Matt and go should I and then I play the 15 and Matt plays the 22 and you do it and no mistakes, and it feels magic. It feels mm-hmm. like you've you've pulled off something. It, it's uh, extraordinary, surreal. And all you're doing is looking at each other, and because you can't talk, you've just got this thing of um, trying to communicate. Like you feel like your number is coming next, or yeah. you feel like your number is very far away, what? which is you sort of leaning, yeah. down, <laughs> not putting down. Yeah, I love the moments because... where people were just no one was putting anything down. Everyone was actually picking up their chairs and moving them like half a foot away from the table, as well, if to be like, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm not up for a while. So we've talked before about Hanabi, which is um, yes. Anton Bowser's game where you hold your cards backwards. Um, or the slightly better sequel, we think, um, uh, Beyond Baker Street? Is it a sequel? Or like- oh, no, not sequel. No, 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 no. Yeah. We call it Related. a sequel. That's yeah. fine. I was right. just, yeah, but just- players have to give each other information about the cards that other people are holding because yes. you don't know what you're holding. Blah, blah, blah. But we didn't like Hanabi because it always felt like cheating. Yeah. Whereas in the mind, you can do... And we were doing hilarious stuff like... If, you know, you put your hand of cards down, which means I don't think I'm next. You pull your chair away from the table, you go, I'm definitely not next. Yeah. Um, but that didn't feel like cheating. No, it felt no. like it's just joking around. Non-verbal. And what I found fascinating was the vast majority of the time, the moment when we failed, when we got it wrong and put them in the wrong order, was when people panicked and thought, I've got to get this card down now yeah. because it's definitely the next card and someone else is going to put one in. And that's when it went wrong. Whenever we just took our time, because there's no timer in the game, you can take as long as you want. It's weird how often what would happen is two people would urgently slide their card towards the centre of the table and then look at each other as if to say, no, it's definitely (laughs) my card next. And then then the other person looking at it would say, no, no, it's got to be this one. And then you'd have this back and forth just just all silently with your eyes. (laughs) But then you go, all right. You and then you get it right. And yes, you're like, yes. More often than not, you if you get make it eye right. contact, you are correct. It was when we stopped making eye contact, you were right. And what's delightful about that is, well, first off, it's magical, but also watching two other people do yeah. that yeah. is the best because you know, like you know, we were playing with um, Rodney Smith of uh, yes. of Watch It Played, amazing, lovely Canadian guy, um, and it was so fun. Like it's like, oh, who is? It? Oh, me and Mo- me and Rodney. Okay, I'm gonna look Rodney right in the eyes, and he's gonna smile, and I'm gonna frown and he goes okay and then I play the game it's like you get mm. to share this great thing and other people get to watch you sharing it's weird thinking about it because it's like in my head there was dialogue in these moments but obviously <laughs> it's like a silent movie yeah it was I remember there was one point actually where someone was like it's definitely this one it's definitely this one's Paul and Paul was sat there like completely blank going no it's definitely, it's definitely this one. <laughs> and they're like it's gotta be this one it can't be and you're just there going like you're just like stoic as anything you just go no it's no but all of us and then there's was saying anything. yeah and then after a minute of this and Paul just being like no it's yours not mine it's just like they play 99 and then he plays 100 and it's just like yeah like but 
the fact that you worked that out like yeah. completely yeah. silently it's like I've got 99 you've got 100 but and we've not a word mentioned the actual best moments of course that we haven't talked about yet are when everyone like we were playing with five people all five people look around the table and all of you pull your chairs back or put your hands down because you all know well, it's not me next because just because of the luck of the deal yeah. there might be a, it might, your cards that you've played might go like one, two, four, five, nine, sixty three. <laughs> and yeah. but you so whoever's holding the sixty three, no, it can't be me. But you all know that it can't be you. And then you're like, maybe it is me. And then yeah, the all players start going like it's the eye contact at that point becomes Go on, buddy. Go on. Yeah. Go on. Go on. It's a team thing, yeah. It's uh. like, if you get it wrong, then you're like, oh well, you know, yeah. It's amazing. It's it's a strange cooperative team game that makes you feel psychic and even when you get it wrong wonderful. this camaraderie. It's yeah. the best it's, surprising like weird fun I've had in ages. It's so simple and small that I don't know if we'll necessarily re- review it. We'll see. But if you see The Mind for sale in the shop, um, I don't know when it's actually going on sale, but yeah. it's, The Mind is absolutely worth buying. It reminds me very much of Codenames in a way of being like, this is such a very a weird simple, social. A weird, simple yeah. idea which just pops so quickly and so easily Perfect. that it's amazing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so, Paul, would you like to talk about another small little box? Yeah. A box full of animals. Yeah. Cardline animals was a thing I've been meaning to talk about for a little while. And there's not a huge amount to say here. I want to very briefly talk about this. It's based on the uh, same mechanic as the timeline games, whereby you have a bunch of cards. And in timeline, it could be things like uh, the American Revolution or the first rich watch, wrist watches made or the first circumnavigation of the globe. And when did the Beatles release Sgt. Pepper? Yeah. And you put these in order and you're like, I'm pretty sure the Beatles released their first album before we went around the world mm-hmm. and people go no uh, and some of these are very obvious and some of them are not because the dates are quite close and sometimes you never think about like when the razor blade was invented or whatever Can't and sometimes like- it's that delightful thing of was bubblegum invented before or after stonehenge <laughs> <laughs> but of course you know as players play more cards it becomes yes. harder and harder to fit a card into the timeline yes this is a thing um and cardline animals does that with uh, properties of animals I and the interesting s- thing immediately is immediately ah. so sold on so this so I, I just thought this would be some throwaway fun and it actually made me extremely angry because it started <laughs> off being like some of the categories are like I think like how big they are so it's like oh that like tip to tail yeah so it's like oh that that kind of bird is clearly not as big as that whale but then like is that f- kind of fox bigger than that dog or <laughs> you know is how big is a leopard versus uh, so the, do the cards have multiple ostrich. properties on them? They have weight, and the one that really messed me up and made me so mad Age? was how long. Yeah, how long yeah. they live for? Because you ended up getting these stupid birds that live for like thirty-five years. <laughs> we we went to an aviary today, and Quinn's was like, "Oh, these macaws—they live for thirty years." And then, like five minutes later, this lady was like, "Oh, these birds live to 80 And he's like, "I got it wrong. They live way longer than <laughs> I thought." Right. And it, are you looking at this, and you're looking like a, a dolphin, and going like, "A dolphin probably lives for a long time, right?" I bet a dolphin lives for two years. I I can't I can't remember. Two I, years. I just know. But this is why the game is good. It's yeah. right. <laughs> it's this all the time, and it made me. I became so annoyed at a lot of animals because they live for a period of time that I years, thought were it? inappropriate. It's, it's going to be ten years. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! So there. I mean, I could. I was Paul quite Dean's good. frankly dangerous views. <laughs> I was quite good at guessing like the weight and the size of animals, but how long they live for. There you go, and I don't know. But Maybe what I like I'm about funny man. The, the timeline is great, but it is definitely skews towards history buffs like yeah. me, and that's one of the reasons I love it. But I have gotten timeline out, and then found out weirdly that one of my friends who, you know, is very knowledgeable about all kinds of stuff, just doesn't care about history, and that actually was a yeah. weird awkward moment because mm. they were bad at it. 
but also I it's an uncomfortable thing to be like oh I, I would have thought you knew about this and somehow that's not a compliment and anyway <laughs> yeah. but no, yeah. but animals everyone knows animals right well they I, think they do well right that's the thing is like you think I don't, I don't know how long a dolphin I think um, oh should we play it now yeah the I commenters think, can let us know I think dolphins live for seven years so I'm saying yeah, seven. It's got to be a lot. Like, like bears can bears can be in their like twenties. What or have 30s. bears got to do with it? <laughs> no, they're, they're like big land-based mammals. So I know. Dolphins they're are like sea-based they're like, you mammals. Know, totally different things. Whales, I think, some of them live for fifty or sixty or seventy years. I think we don't know how long some. Yeah, but dolphins always have such smooth skin. <laughs> <laughs> they gotta be young. Yeah, but they're in the water though. Oh yeah. And they don't get like the, a lot. If they're of in the water, they should rays. wrinkle. Yeah, they get all pruney. They, they can't be longer than it's like they can't be older than twenty. <laughs> if you're if you're a dolphin, get in touch. Yeah, please okay, do. Wait, so your, what's your bet? I think seven years. I don't really, but I'll, uh, I'll it's go gotta for be, it. They've got to be in their twenties at least, maybe thirties. Mm. Oh, I hate to do this, but I think I'll go in the middle. You started with two years. I know. You're not allowed to go in the middle. Oh, okay. You have to go like <laughs> fine. Two years. You know what? I bet I'll be four they, and no, I'll win. They can't. They got. They look. Listen. They're mammals that raise their young, which means there's a period of juvenile growth. Yes. So that in itself has got to be long. Yes, but and humans take mammals. ages to grow up and. Like every other animal, just like squirts up like, in incredible speed. Yeah. Oh, relatively, that's true. Combination yeah. of thinking about animals and squirts reminded me that I've got bird poo all over my t-shirt. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh yeah, you should that. tell this story. Well, we've been to we went to an aviary today because Quinns loves it aviaries, yes. and, and Paul couldn't go over the border to Canada because you can walk to Canada from Niagara, and the Canadian side is way better. <laughs> but um, they've got a really great aviary, and Quinns was like, "Want to go look at birds?" And the birds are really cool, so yeah. we did. But we went to a bit where you can go in and you can actually have the birds. You can feed the birds. Mm-hmm. And they give you a little cup of like weird syrup, <laughs> weird nectar that's yeah. like white and pasty and looks like the stuff. And the birds all come and lick it out with their weird tongues. Yeah, that's <laughs> a way to. Yeah, it's like I tell you what, birds are pretty, but their tongues are gross. Yeah, it's like are. a weird stubby <sighs> black thumb that like. Yeah. Anyway, like I was like, this is going to be great, and then uh, Quinn's has like three birds all licking out the, the nectar from his thing, <laughs> three birds. and then I've got all oh, right, no, and then I, I had the just, just bird one drink. really beautiful tiny red colourful bird, and I was just looking at it being like so gorgeous, beautiful, loving it, and then suddenly out of nowhere, I had about six of them on me, and then they start fighting, <laughs> they're fighting and squawking really loudly, and some of them their feathers are all messed up because they've clearly been fighting each other mm. a bit, and then I was like. <laughs> Suddenly, I start getting really anxious. We had this lovely lady telling us all these facts about the birds, and Quinn's there, like, oh, loving it. And I'm just there, like, rigor mortis, just actually freaking out, being like, can I? In my head, I'm just going, maybe I can just leave. I can leave. It's like, no, don't leave. And you look down over your white t shirt, and it's covered in feces. They're, they're pooing all over me, and, but not Quinn's. And Quinn's there going, oh, I love birds, lovely birds, birds yeah. love me. And then I'm like, terrified, and they're pooing on me. He's the bird master. Uh, Mm, Anything else to say about cutline animals? I was just going to say a lot. I mean, hopefully I'll be back in Vancouver sometime soon when my PR gets processed. But a a classic thing that used to happen with the crows in Vancouver is they would land near me, look at me, poop and fly off. (laughs) And that has happened to me a lot where for some reason a bird wants to make eye contact with me. Do a little, little, they'd always just be very small, little poop, fly away. Nice. Don't know why. So that's cardline card card animals. <laughs> if you're a cardline animal, I might have to pick that up. That sounds like a lovely filler. It sounds like a good thing when you're not sure if your friends are smart enough to enjoy history. If you've got the dumbest friends in the world, uh, bye bye black sheep is. <laughs> oh. uh, so this is a tiny. I believe. Oh, I don't know if it's Korean. I think it might have just have a Korean publisher. But bye bye mm-hmm. black sheep is a fascinating card game, which we'll only talk about for a couple of minutes. Um, you need to make sets. You have these hands. Uh, 
Everyone has a hand of cards depicting beautifully illustrated cutesy little... Yeah. Matt has a pig and a giraffe. And but the, the really perfect side of cutesy, like genuinely cute, not too twee. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all these different sets that you want to build. But everyone in their hand of cards well, And what I like about them as well is the depicted animals are like rectangular. Which yeah. means on a card, they, f- they all fit perfectly. Yeah, they all fill it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so all you're trying to do in this is build a set of animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and on your turn, all you do is you draw cards blindly from other people's hands. So, like, I might draw a card from Paul and I get a parrot. I'm like, oh, okay, I've got a parrot already, so I'm on my way to making a set. And then I'll think, oh, I'll draw another card from Paul. And then I draw your black sheep. Now, everyone always has one black sheep in their hand. And if you draw someone's black sheep, you stop, you get no animals, you junk all your animals onto the table in a big central market thing or something. No, no, no. No, no, no. You have to put them on the table. It's been a while since we played this, so it's No, fine. you keep them in your hand. Any, anything you put on the table, you don't get, you instead put it in your hand. Anyway, the yeah. point is, it's draw as many cards from mm-hmm. your friend as you want. If you draw the black sheep, you're out. That is the entire game. So maybe you draw like four animals and everyone's going, bank it, just stop, just yeah. stop. But you get greedy. Yeah. yeah. And then you draw the sheep. And Because wasn't it like, if you can draw three, then you can, can get to keep one, and then four, keep two. But you can keep going as much as you want. And when you've got Ooh. a bunch of stuff, you think, hang on. If I keep going, I can finish two of these sets. <laughs> and then you pull the black sheep out of their hand. How and could that go wrong? Honestly, it's the simplest game we've played in some time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it doesn't always hit. But if you're in kind of a silly, funny mood and your friends are competitive, it might be the most you laugh playing it a board game this year. really funny. And I love particularly that the, the black sheep has a very cheeky, coquettish look about him of being like, ah, you picked me, which is inherently funny. But also, when we played it... Um, because you brought it around to playtest it a bit with me and it was hilarious and the fact that you were sitting there being like this game is basically just random like it's just a silly thing <laughs> because we all just kept pulling the black sheep all the time and no one was making any progress but it was just I was sitting there laughing going ha 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 well secretly it's like for me the game was all about working out when you found some on the cards where are they going to pull from and it's like uh, rock paper scissors yeah. but with a deck of eight cards and I would like I had a system and I and I shouldn't have mentioned it in the end I broke and I kind of told Quinns I'm like actually you know I'm kind of specifically because putting it in places you're where like you're going to take it I am like a, a murderer. murderer needs to be intelligent but they need everyone to know how clever they're being <laughs> <laughs> so I told you about it and then then it became harder because you started trying to outwit me but for a long you time you told me you had a system you didn't tell me what the system was yeah but even just you knowing I had a system I couldn't do it for Clark but for you you kept picking in the same places every it? time what you do is you'd pick the edge cards yeah um and then if that didn't work the next time you pick the card just one in from the edge uh, so i kept just putting it in just mm-hmm. one from in from the you edge you know what that is you get it every time that's a that's a netrunner habit because when, yeah. when you're pulling cards at random from people's hands in netrunner they shuffle uh, and I don't like the decision of pulling from the middle. So if I pull from the edge, it's not a decision. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know, because everyone does that. And actually, when we were playing it, Clark kept getting me, because I kept thinking, oh, which one am I going to win? And I kept going for the same area. I kept being like... And that's a weird thing, if you're just being like, you know, they always go about a third of the way in, or they always go <laughs> in the middle, or they always go on the side. But then what happens when they think, I'm not going to do that? Where's their second space? Yeah. And then it becomes like a weird game within the game of being like... Which one are they going to go for? And then it's like, they're going to look at my face and think I'm going to try and trick them. So are they going to go for their second option rather than their first or their third? And even within that, it's like a pure silly bluffing game. But some lovely greed, some lovely fun. It's the instantaneous agony, really. Pulling a black sheep in that (laughs) game takes you from being like, ooh, where's the sheep going to, like, what animal am I going to get to? I I will beep this. This game, like, it's just 
rage and fury. We and had a, we had I think about six or seven spins around the table where one after another the first card we drew yeah. each time was the black sheep, <laughs> and it was just like, how is this possible? But I, I love this. I love that we've actually started this podcast just talking about three fundamentally quite simple card games that have driven all of us to partially mad, madness or ecstasy or yeah. both. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it's just because we love games so much that sometimes simple games bring us the most yeah. joy. But if people aren't that into simple games, should we treat them by moving on to some lovely big boxes? Yes. Where should we start first? Um, should we well, get something a bit heavier and then come back to Bunny Kingdom? I All think right. that's a great idea. Right. What would you like, Matt? Oh, I mean, let's go to Comet Seth. Okay. <laughs> the expansion. Uh, do, do you want to briefly explain Comet? If yeah. You want to work? So I've been playing a bunch of Comet recently. It's uh, the second game in the Matagos trilogy of let's have a nice time doing different flavours of war. And who's to say? It might not even be a trilogy. Maybe. A quadrilogy. Mean, they've made three amazing games so far. Who's to say they stopped there? I know. Who knows? Who could know? Who, who could possibly know No one know could know anything. We don't know anything about that. So you've got Cyclades first. Uh, Cyclades. I can never remember how to say words. And it's then you've bicycles. got... Uh, Comet, which is the let's all go and murder people in a desert, Egyptian style. It's basically Stargate, which is great. And then we have, of course, uh, possibly our favourite game at the moment, Inish. I think Inish is very possibly my favourite game at the moment. And uh, though we've been seeing some comments from people saying they don't like Inish, and it tends to be from people who don't realise they just need to roll over at the end. Yeah. uh, The same comment keeps coming up of like, oh, I don't like Inish. And it's like, yeah. Is it because your friends, ha- when they're lo- when they've basically lost, they kind of just keep playing to- and will do anything to survive to try and survive? Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing, and I think well, that- actually, and that relates to our question at the end of this podcast. So. Okay, well, maybe Funny, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll double back. Okay, to that. okay. Yeah. Well, Comet basically is a game whereby you're all Egyptians and you have cool dice that represent pyramids that you can level up these little triangular dice and it's a lovely simple thing you level up your pyramids and then you have a shared shop of upgrades and you can level up your red pyramid and buy things and basically it's kind of an area control war game in the desert whereby you can choose to either be like very defensive or very economical or very like I'm going to be a blood scorpion god killing the people in the desert and I don't care if I win fights or not I just want to watch people die and it's incredibly thematic and I think what I love most about it is the fact that it does look when you get it on the table you think oh this looks like a game where you go and have wars in the desert and fight each other and try and, and control sort of temples do. and that's exactly what it is but and you, I've got a lot of respect for that it's I was going to say you sort of do but there's also it. I don't feel it is just uh, blind warfare no. and killing people It's there's quite a lot of strategy involved yep. and the economy side of it is I mean, there is so much to buy. You can buy giant scorpions, beetles, mummies. You can buy priests that make you better at priesting. Or you can buy a thing that makes your, your pyramids get bigger, faster. And there's a, it's a bit of a race because you're just looking at this selection of stuff and you're thinking, what can I try and get? And then someone snaps up something you want. You're like, Ugh. it's adaptive. It's fast. And um, it, it's got so much stuff that shouldn't work in a war yeah, game. Like yeah. the fact that so much war games... War games are fundamentally about movement. They're about moving troops. Where are your troops? Where do they move? Um, and then Komet says, what if everyone could teleport their troops everywhere? Pretty much anywhere. Yeah. 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 And then also, what if whenever a fight is over, you can just vaporize the troops and turn them back into magic dust? That magic money. Spend yeah. on more troops. Or uh, the fact, what's the other thing that doesn't make sense about Komet that I have forgotten? Quentin is in hold, on hold. <laughs> yeah, on hold to himself. No, I can't remember. It's weird. From afar, it just looks very fuzzy and loose, but actually, it, it holds it works up. Well. And every it time just... I play it, it ends up very close. 
and it's it's probably one of my favourite kind of area control warrior games. Mm. So yeah. I mean, I was going to quickly say I think that's because it just it it distills all of this down and makes every turn intense. Mm-hmm. And then you would think, oh, if they're going to make an expansion, maybe they add more players or more powers or more. And of but course, they, they, well, they've they already do, done that. They yeah. did. But, but yeah, and so, so this expansion, they have not even come at this sideways. They come at this from another dimension because it's a one versus many expansion. Exactly. We can reveal that. I would think we might even be the first people to announce this in English, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but yeah, so the old expansion was Comet Tarsetti. That's comparable to Cyclades Titans, where it's like a bunch of modules that mm-hmm. all can change the game a little bit. But this new one is comparable to... Wait, did I say Cyclades Titans? Uh, no. Yeah, no, I did. That's yeah. what I said before. Yeah. I meant Cyclades Hades. Okay. But this is more comparable. It's been a long week. It has. Uh, this is more comparable to Cyclades Titans, where it transforms the game. So, we, sorry, our, our haunted house has just it, started rattling. Yes, that rattling is a real, authentic, non-manufactured environmental <laughs> audio yeah, I keep noise. being confused by just random noises that aren't us as well. That's, that's fun, isn't it? Ghosts are fun. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> this new expansion of Comet Set... Which might be written. It's Seth, Seth. Apparently, we, Seth, we check this Seth, out a lot. Seth. Like, is it Seth? Is it Seth? I don't know. It's it's written Seth. So now you have a player who is. Uh, I'm going to try and describe this using the words of um, Matagos, uh, uh, the Matago employee who walked us through this. But basically, there's a bad god who wants to prove he's the baddest god, and he's come <laughs> down and is going to prove he's the meanest, baddest god by beating everyone up. Yeah, the other description given to us by Matagos spokesperson was: "It's we've basically gone full Stargate." <laughs> And <laughs> that there are these, frankly, just much larger soldiery people who are much yeah. more powerful than everyone else who yeah. can do all this mad stuff, and you all have to work together to stop them. Yeah, which is nuts because Komet is the most like, I'm going to hit you in the face. No, I'm going yep. to hit you in the face. And then suddenly, between t- Komet's like two to five players, mm-hmm. now can work together against a sixth player yeah. um, or a third player, you know, depending on. And if, it's bizarre. If, you have this whole new set of uh, powers that this. God can buy purple powers. Purple powers. Purple, powers. Purple, purple figures. Purple powers. The color purple dice. Of evil and uh, also can <laughs> yes. just is just slightly better in lots of ways. And oh, gets so. Oh, can I just? So, what was this expansion like for you two? The pa- the powers that you have, which are like you can just drop fire on people's armies, you can appropriate people's armies, you can also yeah. mind control people's armies to attack other people's armies. <laughs> yes. So we had to fight each other, but also we weren't allowed to talk, so we couldn't negotiate to rig the battle. I think that was we the loveliest to... mechanic. The idea uh, you just, he just uses that ability and goes right. This army's moving here. You two are fighting. Silence. Play cards. Which like, is so funny because actually, I think the reason that wasn't annoying is the fights in Komet are so fun. Yep. Yeah. That like when the big bad is like okay Matt and Paul you have to fight each other now that's actually just that's the funnest part of Komet so it's kind of fun for everyone well also it completely changes the way that the combat works where usually you have these six cards that you cycle through and every time you go into a battle you have to play one card and discard another yeah. which means you're kind of limiting your options in the next literally the next two fights and after three fights you get all six cards back but usually in Komet it's a bit of a non-choice sometimes you just get rid of the cards that aren't very good but then you want to keep a card that's not very good because if you have to fight yourself, well, your, you know, friends. your friend, then yeah. you both want to not hurt each other. So, I mean, there's so many spanners in the work that, that make it so much harder to gauge how to play the game. But then you've got the added joy, really, of the fact that usually you're sharing this shop, but in a way that makes you rush to get the things you want. Whereas this, 
you're like, well, let's, you can grab this, I'll get this. And so it's like... You actually have time. It's yeah. like going on a shopping trip for a camping trip it, or something. It is you're interesting. Like, you can go and grab this, you, I'll get that, and yeah. then we can work together. Do you want the beetle? I want the beetle. And then we'll combine armies and we'll have my beetle in your army. Well, this was a really cool thing because uh, now they've... Whenever you ask questions as to, okay, well, if this is now a cooperative game, how does this rule work? And the answer was always such a good, fun answer. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we're working together. Can our miniatures be part of the same army? Yes, yes. they can. That uh, that oh. was a thing I liked. Was a lot of the answers were just yes. It's like, can I do yep. this thing that sort of thematically makes sense and would be cool? Yes. Yeah. So, and then the fun thing of like, well, okay, but my soldiers developed the shield wall, which always gives me plus one defense. If I'm in Matt's army, does he get the shield wall bonus? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So then it became like this weird puzzle, movement puzzle of like, well, hang on, how can I move my armies to drop a soldier in everyone's yeah. army so everyone gets my buff? Yeah. And that's what we did worst, really. And that's why I think we, we played with five people, 5v1. Which was a total table of six people? Six people. Considering we were playing a game like that with six people, it actually went pretty well and pretty smoothly and pretty quickly. Like I, Komet, it was pretty fast. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't play it again with six, I don't think, personally, because I, I find that with unless you, when you've got six people, I tend to get something lighter out. Personally, I just think all games kind of slow down a bit too much and you don't have enough agency. But I think I'd I cannot wait to try it with three or four, or maybe five. But I, I think that like that puzzle of having like, first of all, hey, let's look at the shop tactically and all buy different things so we can combine all of the different powers to make one big mega army. And then B, tactically moving around so that every army is just a composite of all all of us. Yeah. So that on anyone's turn, anyone can move each of the armies and they all get all the bonuses. Yeah. And even I love we didn't get to do it, but I love the fact that there's a rule in Kemet where you have these cool little monsters you can summon and take along with your army. This, when you form the armies together, each player that's in that army, you can have one of their monsters there. As if you're yes. a Pokemon, you all bring your Pokemon yeah. to the Your biggest Pokemon to the fight, but then they're only allowed to be in one fight, and then all of them apart from one have to go home to like their, their bases. Pokeballs. But it means you can basically <laughs> roll together this big army yeah. and rock up to the big pyramid where the big bad is and then have one big and massive you push. To. You have to as well because this purple player is getting so powerful. He's... Uh, he or she is, or they are bombarding your armies, recruiting your your soldiers. Uh, what was the? You had the prayer power where when other people prayed, you just also got power, which is very uh, annoying. Oh, Don't exa- do that. Yeah, I mean the purple. All shop, these things. The purple shop's funny because obviously the red shop full of red tiles is attack. Then there's defense. Then there's economy. And then with the expansion, there's the black tiles, which are the power of death. I think. Um, um, yeah. And then purple is like the theme is just kind of annoying. <laughs> like it's. A fabulous thing to be able to buy from. You could just do weird, horrible things. Yeah, I can't even... There was no real theme, aside from, like, the biggest, most powerful creature I got was a giant vulture, which, hey, I'm into birds, I love it. And the vulture wasn't that good. But if there were enough corpses after a fight, mine or yours, the vulture just pooped out a victory point, which in Comet is massive. (laughs) There was this weird thing that I would roll, like, this huge ball of bird and spears into one of your armies, and you'd be like, oh, make sure no one dies, because then the vulture will be fed. Yeah, it's lovely. And then lovely crossover over the fact that we could buy some of your powers some of which yeah. weren't useful but just to deny them from you yeah. but we had to have like for each level of the tier you have to have all of your pyramids at that level above so you have one person who's racing to get all of their pyramids up and you could buy yeah. our powers which as well so <laughs> which was really annoying yeah. again can I buy their powers yes yeah it but was also uh, what just what an interesting idea to do with an expansion rather than just more of the same which might be perfectly good to throw in another player or a bit more map or something it's a different game we've been saying this a lot this year as well yeah Yeah. with kickstarters especially I think the three of us have become very aware that um, kickstarters often say oh you're buying the base game do you want the expansion as well and players 
who haven't even played the base game are being like upsold on a box full of stuff they might not want. Yeah. And often that box is like, oh, just more. Yeah, it's more of this thing. Whereas Matago have done such a good job with all their expansions of going. What does this game need? How can we extend the lifespan of this game? How can we make a love letter for the fans? Um, and these are incredibly hard things to play test because they're yeah. not just more. They're like revolutionary they're new ideas. It's yeah. a completely different angle. So many of, the, of the fun new additions as well just felt so smart. Like the ability, for example, for you to smite two army people on the map anyway, just suddenly go bang, lightning, you, you two are dead. That's like, oh, that's a cool thing. But then we realized how genius it was when the tactics that we had to use was to have these composite armies where you can just have one guy from my army in your army and then you can use all my powers and yeah. then bang, oh no, that guy got struck yeah, by lightning. It's the fight, yeah. Oh, Matt's with us. He'll tell us how to fight. Oh no, Matt got rolled over by a meteorite. The fear of it, and also it was a lovely thing of uh, part of our game involved digging up ancient temples, and then you make a little cool mini out of three bits of a temple, and you finish digging it up, and then you slot in a little cardboard circular disc in the top that gives you. There's a lot of cool stuff. The only the only problem we had with it, really, I thought, from the perspective of being like the good guys trying to beat the big bad. Was to do that, you have to do three different things. You have to build one, you have to dig up, dig yeah. up one of these old temples, and then you have to get ten, six victory points in total, one per player, maybe. Something like that. And then you have to get basically collectively amass a load of prayer points, which you all then spend at once. And you can reduce the amount of prayer points you need to have by holding onto temples and other stuff. And it was kind of fine, but there was something about the natural flow of it that it ended up being that the last thing you were likely to do was just have enough prayer points yeah and there's something about the idea of like the fact that you win the game not by having a big cool fight but by spending loads of money that was just slightly disappointing but I mean it's more of a kind of like uh, I think it's a yeah. fair criticism it's when, definitely a criticism but when you know everything that's good about Kemet Inish and Cyclades is that uh, the manual is like two pages mm-hmm. to have a victory condition for your team which is like four steps long yeah and it, I think it's also the, the thing I love particularly about Kemet is it does what it says on the tin it's like blood in the desert and having something which is like <laughs> spend a hundred coins to make the evil god go away is just like uh, it's not yeah, quite you, you would imagine it would be something like burst into the temple and tear it down or cast it's not quite right it's just something. not quite yeah. right but I can understand how it ended up being there yeah. but you know it, it, it's, it's a nightmare to balance everything that well, if I this think, was the only victory condition that worked then. exactly and, and especially because a lot of the fun of the game was the fact that your army was so quickly devastating and dangerous that we just didn't want to fight you Yeah, and so I think that that the only way you could have it being like you have a big fight and beat the big bad would be to have them being less dangerous and actually I like the fact that you're immediately horrendously dangerous in combat and just got more and more dangerous yeah which was really cool it was fun uh, I did also really like another lovely mechanic is yes I can smite you I can mind control your armies I can use your pyramids but to do that I was given one coloured disc of every player yeah and to do this action I had to like if I want to smite Matt I use Matt's disc but that meant on any turn I could only mess with each player once yeah in so four was, different ways which yeah. was wonderful because it was like well I'm gonna mess with all of you and it meant there was never a feel bad moment because actually when I started immediately I was like well how can I actually make render one of these players useless because I th- that was how I thought my powers would work and then everywhere I looked it was like oh no they've nope nope no okay I can't do this not fun thing great that's awesome I'm happy about that I was really impressed by it it was yeah it was a shame to have played it with so many because I felt like I, I really I really liked it but I really felt like I would if we played think, it with four I, I think, think they, I would have had a much stronger sense they of were just excited to have as much blood as possible absolutely and honestly <laughs> that it worked at all with six because most of the time I find anything with six players I kind of check out six is the number where games go to die yes 
Yes. Uh, however, another game that did work quite well was Six, and another game from Matago that's coming out soon. <gasps> Should we talk about Treasure Island? <gasps> oh boy, Treasure Island, the game of oh. So me, this is a thing I said to the chap we were playing with when the Matago guy who was demoing stuff to us when he was like, you know, what do you think about it? How do you feel about it? I really liked just having a game board that you drew all over because. Yeah. Treasure Island is a game about finding some treasure which is hidden somewhere on an island. It's like an acetate map. And you, as well as having your own private secret map that you can scribble sort of clues and information on as you deduce things, you just draw all over this public map as your figures move around, you trace paths, and you're like, oh, I go here, I'm searching in this cove. Draw a circle, represent where you're searching, hatch that in. Hopefully this immediately makes sense to people listening, but it's just like a map that you draw over it's your real treasure map and you're gradually filling it in and constantly asking this jerk player behind their screen who is Long John Silver who has hidden their treasure like I'm searching here is it here and they go no (laughs) Uh, and then occasionally feed you clues that may or may not be true that say like it might be north of this line so there's this cryptic puzzle element that gradually forms of like it's probably outside of this circle south of this line but north of this line but not in this sector because <laughs> I've got a special card that tells me it's not in that area at all and you're running around searching drawing on a bit of the map saying is, is it here also watching everybody else as they do the same and go like, why, why, yeah. why, they got, why is she over there what does she think is a, why is she in that cove it can't be over there unless unless they lied lie, was it lie or maybe I can check the token next to this clue and then it's a token that says it could be a lie <laughs> that's helpful <laughs> and somehow this this just works really well it's such a simple idea and the fact that you get to do something practical and I, I like map modification. I think it's a thing well, that I didn't realize I enjoyed all along. No, we should stress that uh, included in this game are, are rulers, which, oh, yeah. which which show how far you compass travel. Compass thing, and a, circles. A circles, and but it's going to ship with a real. They're trying to make it look sort of piratical, but yeah. a, a compass so that players can effortlessly draw circles on this map, and, and so that's just a hell of a thing. It's incredible. It really is. I mean, I was playing as Long John, and my game. But basically, I'll my, be Long John tonight. Yeah, I'll be your Long John for the evening. I'll be hiding treasure on an island and then trying to stab you all in the back. But it's just one of the most... I mean, I am a huge fan of the original source material that led to this, the story of Treasure Island, oh, which really? is uh, Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's correct. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of it. I'm not... I mean, I'm not... I love it. But there's something about this whole like the whole story of like there's a pirate mm-hmm. he's buried some treasure somewhere on this island and then a bunch of pirates know that but they don't know exactly where it is and they're going to find it and then it's a case of can these pirates find that treasure before Long John gets back out of jail and gets and finds it for himself because that's the, this other end game thing isn't it that you can actually yourself you appear on the map you start running across it in a way where you don't want to just be explicitly running at the treasure so it's not a case of like yeah it's not like you know something because it's not really a hidden movement game either that's the other key no. thing like it reminded me of Fury of Dracula or something like that because it has the same sense of tension of when the players start to move close to where you've hidden me treasure uh, you go oh no oh no but you're trying not to <laughs> give it away with any tells or any movements and I'm quite good at that, but even so, it was hard sometimes when it's like, Paul's standing quite close to it at the moment. I'm just going <laughs> to try and keep cool. Um, but you're not trying to just evade them until it's too late and I've won. Ha, ha, ha. It's a case of you keep them being slightly wrong or misled or not quite able to find it until you get out of jail, then you madly try and just run across the map to where it is. Or 
or you madly run in a random direction <laughs> and then if they don't find it by the end of the month then you win so it's this weird thing of do you want to try and get to it or do you just want to try and keep misleading them? So we, sh- we should stress, just I don't know if we've done it yet, that um, in the style of Captain Sonar, this is a game where everything is plastic coated. Yep. You're going to be drawing on everything and you're going to be wiping it all clean at the end of the map. Yeah. yeah. And what's wonderful is you have these screens that you hide behind. So you have this big shared map that all the players, as they move around, they draw a line to show where they move from and to. They draw circles, which they hatch. They you know, draw lines over to mm-hmm. show that you've searched that area. And then as the game goes on, it gets full of just these routes, so you can see where everyone's been, where everyone's searched. But also, as it goes on, as Long John, I had this little hand of cards that I had to periodically through the game give clues. At the start of the game, the first clue I had to give had to be 100% honest. So I had to go choose one of these different types of clues to give. And some of them were like, oh, it's definitely within this big radius. Or it's like, it's within this radius of these two characters but one of them is it is and the other one I'm lying yeah but they get as the game goes on you start to have harder ones where you look at them and go oh like you know that giving <laughs> any one of these clues is going to be very bad for you but in the early stages of the game they're all quite good but as it goes on it means you've all got these big lines drawn around the map these map these circles and then everyone can start cross-referencing and being well if it can't be here and it can't be here and you gradually watch them to deduce it more as the game goes on, you get the ability to lie only twice during the game. You get tokens that allow you to, to actually tell a lie in one of these information. Terrible man. But then a, any player can use one of their actions on a turn to look at all those discs and find like out... one of them. Was it one? Okay. Yeah, it was Rodney had a special power. Oh, Rodney and his special powers! <laughs> Do you want uh, to talk about Paul's creepy special power of the dog? That was I, terrifying. It's fine, <laughs> I just had a treasure dog that looks... At, it's very good at finding treasure. It's a special kind of dog. The technical name for it is treasure dog. <laughs> and it searches in a massive circle. The sizes of the circles you were drawing on the map for treasure. were terrifying. And if it finds treasure, it says, hey, I found treasure, but like with a, so, a Cockney accent. So this is the thing. Players can either sprint across the map and go six inches. Great. They can go three inches and draw a little circle, yep. you know, and then then the, then Long John says yes or no, it's in the, it's in the circle mm-hmm. or not. But of course, if it is in the circle, they instantly win. Or if it's not, you receive no information. There's no yeah. like, you were close. Oh, no, no. So no, when no, players no. are placing these circles of where to draw, it's infuriating because it's like, well, if I do it here, I'll cover the palm tree and this other palm tree, but not the path. He'd probably put it on the path, wouldn't he? Because that would... And it's a nightmare. Or you can not move at all and draw a big circle. So it's it's not just this thing of trying to find the treasure. You're also thinking, well, if I run six inches to check that boat, then I have to spend another turn running back and back into yeah. the middle of the island. And also, if I run this way, then I'm helping out everyone because then everyone knows it's not on the boat, which yeah. means no one else needs to go near it. Mm-hmm. But due to the nature of the clues that you can give as Long John, you think, well, if I put it at the edge of the map in some shallow water or something, then it might be a complete pain for the players to get there if they start to realise it's around there. But at the same time, when you're given clues about locations, it's going to become a lot easier to pin down due to the nature of the clues being radiuses and lines and stuff. So, yeah. But if you put it in the middle of the, the map somewhere, then the clues will always be way more vague, but then all the players will be in one place much more easily because there becomes a bite point in the game where suddenly everyone cross-references it. And a really interesting observation that we start to work out about this because for the first few... Like, because we must have been playing for an hour and a half, but it flew by. Yeah, I yeah. think it was lovely. We all thoroughly, we were all very li- looking forward to the. the yeah, release of but for the first half an hour, you quite rightly were like, "This is kind of dumb," because literally all I'd done was I'd just drawn a tiny dot on a map behind my board, and then Quinn's was like, "But at any point, any one of us could just 
stumble it. on it yeah. and like I'd just be like yeah it was there and yeah. then the game would be over which is kind of like how, it, however how the, is this a game but, but, the, <laughs> but the thing is is that yes drawing a big circle on the map and then Matt having to go like if, if it's in there that player has just won seems so outrageous and yet after half an hour I realised that yes it felt outrageous but in terms of the percentage of the map we were actually searching yeah. we'd only searched like 3% yeah. of it so yeah. statistically in playtesting or in play it just doesn't it's, happen it's going to be very rare and also circles are the most deceptive of all shapes they are the most evil of all shapes because they don't click together so even ah. when we got intense we ended up with this horrible thing yeah you thing can't do a grid can where you? You, you've got like these little fiddly bits where it's like, <laughs> have I just missed it by two millimetres yeah and I hid my treasure under a tiny rock and then you guys searched right next to it yeah. but it wasn't quite on a it a couple of times and then it was like alright well I'm fine for now until eventually the search area got tinier and tinier and it was like oh no there's no way they're not going to find it I'm so sorry Matt you were saying well the thing I loved about it basically was watching you guys all working together and but we weren't no no that's it sorry yeah you weren't. And what I loved about it was I was giving clues. At the start of the game, you have to... You don't get to choose them, but you get some tiles. And you know that each of the players knows for sure at the start of the game that the treasure is not in one place on the map. So if in a six-player like pl- yeah. six game all the players immediately shared that information, yeah. as long, John, you could never win. Yeah, you'd be yes. absolutely shafted. They'd just search that one area, they'd find it, you're done. But because at the start of the game everyone wants to be the one that finds the treasure... No one shares the information. And this is why the detail I don't think we have mentioned yet is everyone has a massive map that you all share, but all the players also have a small map that is just theirs. The secret map where you can keep notes. Like. And there's information throughout the game that players can request compass tokens so they from uh, oh, yes. will tell them that the treasure is definitely not in this direction or this direction <laughs> from where they currently are. So everyone <laughs> gradually claim. gets the combination <laughs> so of annoying. like of like the the shared information and the personal information everyone has this belief that it's going to be them but and it's a competitive game yeah stress there is no benefit necessarily to sharing information yeah because if someone finds it they win however (laughs) and we found this as a wonderful balancing thing and i don't remember when exactly it happened but as long john the early game for me was wonderful i gave everybody carefully the least information I possibly could, mm-hmm. cross-referencing what I told everyone and looking at my notes on my map, being like, all right, Quinn's nose, it's not in the north. I'm going to tell him again, it's not in the north. That's going to really annoy him. But knowing that <laughs> as soon as it got to a point about two-thirds of the way through where people started to worry that they just weren't going to find him, and Rodney, he was very good. He found out that I was lying and he just started outwardly sharing information. No, he accidentally shared. Yeah, no, he did. Let's but then, not give that man too much credit of being an angel. He accidentally shared the first lie, but when the second one, he was he told everyone like the whole deal uh. and said, this is a lie and this is a lie, which means it must be around here somewhere. And that was the point where it was like, this is a problem. And then everyone else started saying, oh, well, I know it's definitely not well, here. Well, this is the thing. If it was just between the five treasure hunters, then we all have a 20% chance of winning. But if your clues out foxes completely as Long John, then Long John has like a 50% chance of winning and all of us have a 10% chance. Yeah. So by sharing information, we could bump our chances, which we did. And yeah. so that was actually quite a cute balancing thing. It was weird. To begin with, I was definitely trying to play you off each other as much as possible and disparaging you. And when someone said it was a lie, I but was like, well... you did it well. too well. And they did it too well. And this is what I loved. It balanced uh, the game. Well, so this is this was interesting because it's kind of organically happened. And we, we should be clear, this is not like the way the game is necessarily going to be played by lots of people. But I liked that this happened and I liked that... We we sort of ended up sort of cooperatively compromising like this um, 
because I think some people will play that way, some people won't. Some people might end up doing like a two teams of two natural negotiation. Oh wow, thing yeah, that, the end. that could happen. Um, I mean, there's well, it's but it's actually what we alluded to early in the podcast about the Inish thing of hey, I'm not going to win, but it becomes less about being like I'm going to win, and but more about who do you not want to win, and it might yeah, be that one of them I going to send this. Game? It might be that one of the pirates on your supposed team has been such an ass yeah. that you think I'm not going to you're not getting but any of my information within the fiction like obviously this is where th- gaming and themes become really exactly. well because if this was an abstract game I wouldn't if Paul wins then I'm annoyed but because it's like finding a treasure and me saying to Paul oh, I'll help you win is fine because within that wrapper probably he might share some of the treasure yep, with yep, me. Yep, everyone wants the treasure for themselves and the moment you guys stop being greedy and start deciding as you fairly could that Long John Silver was a bad man you didn't want him because I've done such a good job of really shafting you at every angle and being like giving you the least information possible that you guys all just got fed up and you got scared and you thought we don't want this guy to win and it was a lovely thing of like at the start of the game I was definitely treating you as individual players and yeah. taking advantage yeah. of that but at the end of the game I whispered to the guy who was uh, you know Arno from Matago who was overseeing the game I kind of went over to him and I was like I think they're going to win but they deserve to and it was weird at some point in the mm. game it had shifted to be being like it was a game where you guys were a team and because you, you worked together and you found my treasure Aww. and Long John got nothing and well, it was brilliant mm, so now I'm going to admit something that, that nobody knew was, did you lie about the information there, I just had no I just had a bit of information where we were very close to the end we were very close to it and I knew it wasn't in an area and I kept letting people search that area because I just wanted to find it first that's good uh, but that's, and then I didn't ah, I didn't that, that made sense that, but that's that's <laughs> but we didn't share everything did we no. we all Why, were like what? we're a team right I mean but I didn't uh, share I shared my compass knowledge. it's the fuzziness of it that yeah. I love that you go okay we'll share information but everyone's secretly like but I want to find it and that which is, is quite piratey it's such a nice so organic moment yeah. Yeah. there were yeah. points where like the thing that I loved as Long John because as Long John you don't have a great amount to do all the time but I adored just watching from afar and at one point, just because somebody actually said, oh yeah, he said it was in this circle, but that was a lie. But then one player obviously just didn't believe that. And so like, <laughs> half the game just digging massive circles in this area where it was like, there's nothing anywhere near that. And I loved it. It's like, I just had this really strong image of like this pirate just digging in the beating sun for hours alone going, the treasure's gotta be somewhere around here. Like, you know. But sometimes curating games is more fun. One of the things we did yesterday was um, uh, we were hanging out with, with a couple of lovely people from uh, Z-Man Games and then I found out they hadn't played Flam Rouge. Yeah. But they'd seen our review and were like, I didn't really get yeah. What we're talking about. And I was like, right, we're gonna go. I'm gonna cause there's a copy in the in the convention and I'm gonna show you Flam Rouge. And then you two got to play with the Peloton expansion yep. that we hadn't before, which Cobbles. Has cobblestones and <laughs> real you, trouble. Everyone got real tired. <laughs> um yeah, Flam Rouge being a bicycle game. But um the only reason I bring it up and you should definitely check out our video oh, review yeah. of Flam Rouge, uh, if you haven't already. That's F L A M M E and then Rouge. Rouge. Um but I just sat there running the game because I taught it and then yeah. I had so much fun just calling bicyclists going how far do you move Red 7 how far do you and you were having so much fun and yep. it was so, even more fun for me to watch you yeah. guys it yeah. was your plan wasn't it originally to teach the game and be like have fun I'm going to go and learn something else and look yeah. at something and then you ended up as basically like the referee or the pace car yeah. sort of keeping track of everything that was happening being a commentator or something but it was so great because uh, the Z-Man games people said exactly what I need from people when I'm teaching them games which was they started playing and then every turn they kept going 
oh, like, turn one, they were like, oh, this is so good. And then turn two, they were like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, and was like, uh, they're like, this game is so good. It's like, yes. And then by the end of it, they were like, this is the best racing game I've ever played. Yeah. And I said, yes, it is. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited that uh, we're getting not one but two Flam Rouge expansions this year. So oh, that's definitely going to be a written review on the site. But yeah, brief, briefly back to Treasure Island, I think what I'd say about it, and I'm super excited about it, is because there's two things. Uh, I really love the feel of Fury of Dracula, yep. but to have something which has the same feel as a hidden role game, but mm-hmm. because all you're doing as Long John is doing a tiny dot on a map and there's no bookkeeping afterwards or no like, oh, I've made a mistake with movement. Oh yeah, it's far it less means, fiddly and handsy. It means anyone can do it. You don't have to have a super experienced yeah. player doing it because, you know, what all it boils down to is if they've drawn a circle on the map you look at the map is it where you put it if the answer is yes yep. then yeah you got me if yep. not you didn't which is, means anyone can handle that and B I love the fact that rather than having a game where like it can be unbalanced like if you've got one player and Fury Dracula who's playing as Dracula, Dracula and being too super good and all the other people are working together but they're just not getting there in this it's like the only thing that is going to stop the team from being outwitted by Long John is if they refuse to work together. And so it's that thing of like, it doesn't matter how good, how, how much ah. of a mastermind that pirate lord is. <sighs> if, if everyone just goes, you know what, <laughs> screw this guy, they'll, they'll find it. But that means the advanced game as Long John Silver is not playing to give no information. It's playing to make everyone think they can do it. Yeah, yes. it's to give them just enough information to keep them feeling like they can do it on their own, yeah, which I, is yeah. mind-blowing. I'm interested to see like what this happens when it's out there and how people play it and what sort of things happen. I'm really super excited the, about there it. Was, the point in it that just cracked me up is because there's a big deck of clue cards and you don't know what John, Long John Silver is going to be dealt or what they'll pick as clues. Yep. But you'd pick, like, it's not north of this or it's within a radius of this. And so lots of lines, lots of circles. But then at one point you played a card which was like, it was a triangulation. It was like, it's between these three points. And you drew this triangle on the map. And for some reason, uh, just triangles always remind me of like Illuminati and conspiracy <laughs> theories. So it was this moment that we're all like, no, do you see? It's like the Illuminati would have planted it because it's, it's an Illuminati symbol. Oh, it's some of and the... So if that had been a lie, which I don't... I don't think it was. That I would have lost it. Was a lie, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a lie. But no, I mean, there's also like <laughs> some of those cards were just wonderful in the theming of them. And like, I think one of my favorite cards that I played at one point was just horrible and wonderful. It was just like a card that was like, oh, yeah, um, the treasure has been within one mile. Of, of one yeah. of the places you've searched already. <laughs> Which was, no, I mean, that's no help. <laughs> Which that is no is help so... at all, but it's basically just like, it's like patting them all in the back after an hour and going, guys, hey, guess what? At one you point, did it. you were really close. <laughs> yeah. Which is just so wonderfully mean. Nope. Like, yeah, what, it's, a, what a delight. Yeah, real, a real delight, real treat. Although, I'll tell you what, if players were only using the small circles to search... That yeah. would be a much better clue because then they would just draw large circles around those yeah, little circles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, so finally, uh, we're going to talk about something a bit different because <gasps> currently live right now is a Kickstarter <laughs> for Fireball, Fireball Island. <laughs> oh, I thought we were going to say it together. I know, I, but I wanted to make sure the name oh. was enunciated so people could Google it. Fireball Island. Fireball Island. Fireball Island. Fireball Island. That's enough, Paul. So it's uh, this was a game in the 1980s, weird injection-molded thing of a big plastic island, and you rolled a ball around it. Um, but Restoration Games, uh, curators of such games that didn't work for us as Downforce, um, are bringing it back. They're making a lovely new edition. It's on Kickstarter right now uh, with like four different expansions or three expansions and a bunch of stretch goals. It's live for another ooh, week after this podcast goes live. And our special correspondent, <gasps> Paul Dean in America, has played it. Are you there, Paul? I am. I have played it. And first of all, Quinns, I have to come to you with that caveat that we have for all Kickstarters or all games that are not quite finished is it's not quite finished. Obviously, it's in production right now. So 
I played a version where they were experimenting with a few different special rules and things, but they wanted to get it out there in the wild and they wanted to, A, get it seen, obviously, because they're trying to promote it and they want to do well, even though the I think the Kickstarter was funded in like seven seconds it's or something. It's coming towards a million dollars now. I think. Oh, wow, is I mean, it's a really popular old game then? In you know, North America, yeah. In North, yeah, in the US, because a lot of people played it as kids and I think ah. it's the perfect timing because everyone who played it as kids, it's like Star Wars coming back, right? Everyone yeah. who played it as kids in the 80s now wants to show it to their so kids. So for us in yeah. UK, we had that weird game with the ghost mansion where a skull rolled down I atmosphere no. no no not atmosphere it was called like ghosty house. ghost house if restoration games want to reboot atmosphere I am all in I mean anyway, I'll be in it, it better oh yeah Ugh. oh god we could do the videos for it <laughs> that absolutely could it wouldn't be as scary restoration well, maybe games maybe it would, no, we, could it would. Do, no, we could do we could do horror for sure yeah, our I videography could extend that far yeah sure just putting that out there if restoration games would like to acquire the license for atmosphere which is spelt with an F uh, and have and, and, uh, and us do the video. Anyway, Fireball. So, yeah, how does Fireball Island work, Paul? So, you have this, uh, I think it's like this three section, like you say, injection molded or vacuum formed uh, plastic board that you click together. It's not injection um, molded, it's vacuum formed. There we go. And it has uh, one the, sort of a mountain volcano thing, which is also a skull that burps out marbles that sits at the top of this. You can rotate it around and then you can drop marbles down it and they will run down these plastic paths. Have you seen them? And if your figure, you haven't seen it. No. If your figure happens to be on one of these paths and it gets knocked over by a marble, then you got knocked over by a marble. But hopefully it wasn't you. Hopefully you're the person dropping the marble to knock someone else's figure while you rush around picking up treasure, get back to the helipad, leave with, you know, the best combination of this different This really things. does sound like a 1990s game that children love. Yeah, it, this is the game from the 80s. Yeah, okay. there it is. We're just, we're just showing that. Matthew a picture now and recording wow. his live pupil dilations wow. as they happen. It looks like something made on a TV show we have in the UK called Blue Peter. Yeah, a um, very niche reference there for some folks and very common for others. Uh, it was exactly what I thought it would be, which is like a fun, silly family game that didn't have like a huge amount of depth or stuff going on, but it had the funny physicality of because there are physical components that roll around like big marbles. It's like Mousetrap meets Indiana Jones, but but better. I mean, the thing with some of those physical games from the eighties, like Mousetrap, is they didn't work. They very were awful. Well. Yeah, this fundamentally <laughs> is like a ball may or may not hit you. I mean, I'm glad we've we've addressed the elephant in the room. Yeah, what I'm basically well, asking were. is, is they this were. game awful? This is not okay. <laughs> Oh, was it awful? Paul says, "Is it?" I, don't, I can't speak for the original okay. because I was on the wrong side of the pond. That's fair. But the fundamental <laughs> sort of physical humour and silliness of like, the ball hit you, but you didn't get knocked over. Or the ball didn't even hit you, but somehow you fell over. This, because <laughs> that's what happens. Oh, that's really? already And then funny. like, or, or trying to flick a plastic boulder at somebody else's figure. Because you, there's also an amount of like flicking things, because obviously that, that never... Anyone who's played uh, like Flick 'em Up or Catacombs, Catacombs, you know that that's never really going to go the way you think it does. And then little stupid things like you rotate palm trees so the roots block balls or send them in wrong directions. It's not a game where you're going to have a hugely intelligently stimulating time with it, but it is a game that is silly and that you laugh at. And the fact they were throwing in a few special rolls, like I think it was maybe roll and move in the old days, and now they've just got cards that tell you you move this number of spaces and you play the card you want. Yeah. Oh, there's some wonderful... I'm, I'm just been skimming through some gifts on the Kickstarter and it does look like wonderful fun. Even things, the yeah. fact that like you have palm trees which have like pinball-style flippers on them that yes. can rotate yeah. the trees so that... Matt Paul did just say that when you were reading. <laughs> really, really quite sorry. because he's got, he's got so absorbed I have to be honest, these gifts really are quite transvestic. <laughs> no, they're really good gifts. 
Uh, and it's like, it's not going to be the next um, uh, Eurogame about building a complicated farm. It's but if it is, then the people who have kickstarted are going to be furious. They are. <laughs> but if you want some fun, like, just as Quinn said, some fun with, like, your eight-year-old kids, you want something accessible that has, you know, some tactics in it and some su- surprise and tension. I have to say, I've, got, I've, gone from, I've gone from being like, this game sounds real bad, to looking at a few gifts of it and being like, this game looks great. It, it was fun. The, I can't uh, see myself playing it a lot, but I had no. fun. I love the uh, that they've doubled down on, like, because Fireball Island, like, what are you taking? Are you taking treasures, you know? And it's like, yeah. no, you're taking, the cards on the, on the Kickstarter page are like, Souvenirs, like they've got one of the stretch goals is like Vavazuelas, <laughs> so you get like Fireball Island, Vavazuela. yeah, or like you know Fireball Island promotional T-shirts. So it's like this weird thing of it's like you you are on holiday, but like then one of the expansions is just like it adds bees, like which are yellow balls that are gonna. And oh snakes. yeah, there were, there were snakes. There were po- little smaller poison balls, which are annoying because they move in a different way around the board, so you can't always tell who they're gonna hit and. What's going to happen? And are they then, like bouncy balls? They're, no, they're just small. But the thing is, like larger balls tend to knock smaller balls. And oh, you could get do a really big heavy. Oh wait, so the small and... balls are on the board. So when you release big balls, they just oh, get yeah. jostled out of. Oh, so the, the bees get knocked out of their bush and it's attack like you. Just horror pinball or <laughs> stupid stuff. And that frustration of like you hit someone twice with something and they just stood there, whereas for some reason your figure has fallen over because the board moved. Sorry, that means that you. That's now, the rule. You fell down. <laughs> I, do, I must admit, I do have a, a large fondness for games with arbitrary, nonsensical rules. <laughs> well, it's That's like that, it. the best thing in um, Shogun, which is uh, a game that maybe I was too harsh on in review, but uh, sort of complicated um, uh, Japanese war game, but it has that wonderful tower where yeah. you just, your soldiers are cubes and then you drop your cubes in the tower. But it has this wonderful thing that because the tower is full of baffles, so you never know what's going to fall out. Um, like occasionally someone will get up to get a drink and the tower will get knocked and then three of your soldiers fall out and then they're like oh well they're just how long have they been in that (laughs) yeah it's and but that's actually like a mechanic in the game it's like your soldiers we always imagine them like staggering out of the bush going we got lost (laughs) Uh, so okay so now uh, Fumble Island you said it was fun you can't see yourself playing it a lot that's fine because this is a novelty yeah so we do have that the Kickstarter is $60 plus shipping and shipping is looking like $20 $20 for just about everywhere Oof. so we're looking heavy. at uh, 75 or 80 bucks I, I mean I wouldn't pay that for it but then it's not my thing it's a thing I think that people want to buy for their families and play with their kids and people want their kids to have the exact same childhood that they did it's just really understandable cool. because things were a lot better in the world 30 years ago <laughs> in some ways some ways but not, not in other ways <laughs> everything's always been the same it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. No, you haven't. We're going to do a read mail But yeah, so it's 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 a it's a fun novelty, but this is a pretty high price for a fun novelty. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but then I think that the we got the, you know we have people nowadays who buy f- vinyl who don't have to. Yeah. So it's it's that thing of if if you want it, there we can't stop you from buying novelty it. Novelty and value just don't really exist in no, the same universe. They do they? They're not on yeah. the same ends of the Which spectrum. Which is fine. If you know what you're in for. I mean, plus the thing about this is we've been doing Shut Up and Sit Down for like six years. I don't think there's anything that has looked quite like Fireball Island. Honestly, yeah, I think true. it looks awesome. And it's the sort of thing where if I had kids, I think they would adore it. And yeah. even as somebody who has no memory of this game at all and no attachment, they seem to have done an extremely good job on making it look like a cool yeah, it's, fun it's thing. Yeah, it's the great kind of nostalgia where it's like, even if you don't know the original thing, 
you know, it, it works for both. Yeah, well, it's for me, it's like, there were so many games, like the, like the Skull Down the Stairs, Spooky House, Ghost I have no idea what you're talking about. I had it, and yeah. it, those stairs didn't work It wasn't well. good, right? And Mouse <laughs> Chat never worked either. So to be nope. honest, the promise of these games where you drop a ball and it falls and knocks things down, any game that does that and it works is inherently quite exciting yeah. to me, just yeah. because it's no, part really of nice my childhood. Part. So no, I'm just as nostalgic as everyone else. Ignore me, put me in a bin. Before <laughs> we do the reader mail, very quickly, Bunny Kingdom, we promised. Oh, we did. Bunnies... Bunny's too tight to mention. I just want to say that again. <laughs> Fine. How can we describe this really fast? I can do it. Here go I on. go. Bunny Kingdom is a game from Richard Garfield, a famous designer. It's a grid. It's got... Uh, it's really beautifully illustrated for me. Yeah, it's very good. Throughout, and the card art is fabulous. You're all uh, uh, empires of bunnies. Mm-hmm. It's an empty grid initially, which has farms and, and ponds and mountains and towns. Um, and everyone has cards, which you are drafting. Take two, pass it on. And a lot of these cards have grid references. So, for example, you draft card B1, and then you're going to airdrop one of your little plastic bunnies on square B1. And what you're doing, get ready, kids, it's fun, it's multiplication. Because as you draft <laughs> more cards, and you're going to extend these little bunny networks, so if you draft B1, and then you draft B2 or C1, that's great, because you get to extend that, what's called a fiefdom, or fiefdom? Fiefdom, fiefdom. Fiefdom, you already have. And what you're trying to do that is get a big score by multiplying the number of resources in that fiefdom. So, like, if you've got a pond, that's great. You've got a fish, and you've you got, got some wood, and you've got wood, some diamonds. So, if you've got three. carrots, wood, and diamonds, that's awesome. You have three multiplied by the number of towns. And what's interesting about the towns is there are some on the board, but mostly you build them. Yeah. So, you have a fiefdom with, like, two resources, and at the end of a round, you'll go, ooh, I'll build a big city there because then I'm going to get more points this round but the Sigurian Bunny Kingdom is exponential because yeah. you might get like 10 points in the first round but then later on you might get 80 points for one of your yeah. like, multiplication right it's so like, you might get a level 3 town in the first draw where you think this is great This is if I can combine this with just one resource it's worth 3 points 2 you know ugh, you can do maths for yourself at home <laughs> but if you get that on the board in the first round then that's going to yeah. be scored 4 times but then you might think, well, no, I'm going to wait until I know, know where my points are going to be. Like, yeah. you don't know what location is going to be. Plus, you have these scroll cards that end up being very... You draft them, but instead of playing them, you put them secretly in a pile. So it's like, game. rather than putting a bunny on the board, I'm going to get this weird score multiplier. And there were loads of these. These were not just rare things. So yeah. if we can... Yeah, there are loads, but yep. we'll get to the art in a second. But basically, it's bunny bingo. Yeah. So you are saying like, oh, what cards am I uh, going to get? And then you look excitedly, like you, um, it's almost like lottery numbers. When you draft a hand of cards, you go, oh, are any of these good for me? F2, no, F- or F6? Yes, I can extend that. Yeah, it was just bingo, looking around the board going, <gasps> yeah. And then you, and then sometimes, weirdly, often, in fact, you draft a card that is perfect. It's yes. exactly the square you wanted. How did that happen? The reason it happened is because usually squares are only relevant to you. Yes. So mechanically, <laughs> like it's only like a mountain is only you, oh, you're the only person who wants it, which is lovely in a drafting game because it means keep, people keep passing you stuff. Yeah. And you go, how is it possible that I got the exact card I needed? Yeah. Whereas you're like, oh, I have no need for this, and then you pass someone else like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really the game itself was really quite good. Um, it was a little tricky to pass the board, a little tricky to do the maths, and it was an interesting example, I think, of a game that was saved. Or like just pushed over the finish line by art direction. Mm. Yeah. The board is lovely, the miniatures are nice, but the cards it's like and it, this is tricky because sometimes card art is nice because it's like a joke and you laugh, but those games tend not to have much staying power. Whereas yeah. Bunny Kingdom, I feel like I would play that game again second, third, fourth time, because when I get past some of those pieces of art, I would just 
I would just giggle again. Like, what do we have? The matriarch. The matriarch. Who? So, why was that so funny? Because it's just a card, a bunny card full of other bunnies, and this poor uh, lady. No, she bunny wasn't. Who... Oh no, that's the thing. If she was just like a woebegotten mother, then that wouldn't be funny. But no, she was a matriarch. She had like <laughs> her eyes were these narrow slits. She'd seen some things. She's covered in tiny, cute bunnies, but she's like she would kill you. Or even some that just dumb stupid stuff like the bunshee where I was like what is this and it's, <laughs> it's oh a, it's a banshee but a bunny there were lots of very dumb puns in that I mean honestly one of the jokes in that game was one of the funniest jokes I've ever seen in a card in a board game and I would not expect it in a family game about bunnies but one of the special ability cards uh, which was called, what was oh, it called? Was it, was Socialist yeah uh, one of the cards was called Socialist and it basically says at the end of the game you can copy one of the like, basically one of the other cards to the left so, so if you're a socialist you copy an idea to the left and the other card was exactly the same but liberal which was copy an idea from the right <laughs> and I was just losing it I was like oh, this is amazing biting satire in a game about bunnies uh, but also I mean the other thing that was interesting and I noticed this particularly because of this was the game I was playing was you've got this thing of looking for cards on the board but then yeah. there's so many of these special ability cards that all did score differently at the end of the game that I was playing a very different game where I wasn't trying to even build big fiefdoms yeah. I was just trying to meet a set of strange criteria yes. on mm. all of these cards and uh, that's how I got yeah. my points I had a similar thing as well where initially some of these look useless or pointless yeah. and then as the game goes on you're like oh I've I'll get bonus points if I have a lot of carrot resources, which is, you know, the opposite to the game where you want to diversify resources. If I have loads of the same square, I get a lot more points. You get loads of points. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a thing of basically trying to, like... It's interesting because it's four rounds and basically the whole game was just choosing when to bite down on a yeah, strategy. Yeah. And you could sit on stuff and wait, but it was like, was the when funny, are you going to go for it? The funny thing as well, when you draft like, oh, um, I can build a diamond mine or oh, I can build a city. These are hugely powerful things. But you don't necessarily have to build them. They just yeah. sit in front of you. And so you're missing scoring opportunities. But maybe on round three, you go, no, I know which five of them is best. I know I know yeah. how multiplication works. Mm. Yeah. We're going to time seven by seven and I'm going to get so many points that everyone goes... Airdrop in huge amounts of points. Yeah. Which is, again, it, it, there were a lot of... De- I was making a lot of decisions in that game. And yeah, there were still more decisions to be made, left unmade. Like I could follow other strategies. Mm-hmm. But it was still kind of bingo. And it was strangely <laughs> toothless. <laughs> it was strangely toothless, as you say, in the way yeah. that you felt like there wasn't a huge amount of competition for space most spaces no because most of the time the, the nature is if you have a card that gives you a space apart from a few camp cards yep. which are like you can go anywhere you like but somebody might kick you out later yep. you don't compete you are just thinking about where you want to go and occasionally maybe you look at a card and you're like I don't want to pass that on because someone else will trump me to a certain location but a lot of the time yeah, it's about manoeuvring around. I think other. with two players, it would be quite interesting for that yeah. though of, of denial yeah, and, and really blocking people. I'm I'm just still stuck on the art because we kept noticing details on the cards. Where like it's not a game set in a universe, but by the end of it, I felt I knew so much about this stupid, charming world. <laughs> like someone had the diplomat card, yeah, which I was did. like, yeah, okay, so you get a point for every uh, like bunny you have on the edge of the map. Um, so that's cute um, but the the picture showed a bunny shaking hands with a fox like a, the a, foxes live next door on the right, next map fo- obviously the foxes live next door and that's obviously. a cute detail but here's the thing fox it's, it's any border it's not like to the west they're surrounded oh. by foxes so we're surrounded oh. by foxes oh <laughs> right and then even just yeah the fact it's alright I was the diplomat I dealt with them they're fine exactly but like Ten so many so oh, yeah so many little details yeah. and, it was just, and yet bunnies like it was Lovely. It was very nice. It was a little. I felt it was a little light for. for yeah. So, for us. so uh, would I buy it? Not personally. No. I think it's something that if it's a sort of game where I think if I had a family, it would be fantastic. Ooh, just had a thought. 
because I kept kept making jokes as we were playing because there were coordinates for all this grid like battleships. Kept talking about bunny drop ships. Yeah. Bunny's too tight to mention is now gone. Water drop ship down. <laughs> that's very good. There we go. Like, and that's the police come to arrest me. Yeah. Water, oh, water, <laughs> water drop, drop ship because they're dropping mm. from that was, that was hard work because they're not me. they don't come from the coast yeah no I've changed my mind actually nowhere. I'm going to go along with the crowd and say it's not very good it's just fine read a mail Ooh, put your hand in the mailbag for me a letter oh guys I've emerged from the mailbag I have gone through the decontamination chamber mm-hmm. I'm still feeling sticky and nasty but why clutched, why would you be sticky in the mailbag clutched in my hand look man the mailbag Expanded universe has got it was complicated. Your job to clean the mailbag. Um, so Simon Reed, I believe, uh, don't know your last names for sure, Simon, but works in Thirsty Meeples, a fabulous board game cafe in the UK. Oh yeah, uh, had a great question. So we mentioned the idea of um, good king making and bad king making. Yeah. So king making is a concept in board games where uh, it, which often comes up in designs where, as a game nears its end, a player doesn't necessarily win because of what they've done, but another player on the table does something which causes them to win. And sometimes this is unavoidable, sometimes it's annoying, but we mentioned in some games it's fine. So Simon writes, uh, ooh, do, 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 uh, would love to hear a conversation on good king versus bad king making, which we skipped over a few episodes ago. Why in some circumstances is it deeply unsatisfying and otherwise it's fine? Mm. So, um, let's start with the fact that uh, humans, I think, just hate one thing more than anything, which is injustice. Like, this has actually (laughs) been revealed in monkeys, right? Even monkeys have an intrinsic understanding of injustice. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. There's this amazing experiment. How do you both know about monkeys? (laughs) We are monkeys. Matt did a psychologist degree, and and I'm a monkey. Uh, (laughs) But no, so they put these two two monkeys in in a glass box so they can see each other. If both monkeys pull a lever at the same time, they both get a grape, which they like. I like grapes. So they both pull the lever and they learn, oh, we pull the lever together, drink, and they both get a grape. If you change that experiment so one gets a grape and one gets a nut, the monkey, because monkeys prefer nuts, they're fattier, there's more calories. The monkey that gets the grape will see the nut and refuse to participate. Because, uh, which, like, obviously it's still getting a grape, it still benefits and it's fine, but if another monkey gets a better reward, it will not do it because it doesn't like it. It's not fair. It's not fair. So humans, we thought for a while that fairness is one of the things that we have gained in society along with like an understanding of, well, society and culture. Yeah. But actually, it's, it might be baked into our brains. That's really interesting. But anyway, so yes, but we, regardless of where it comes from, we know humans don't like injustice and we know that players winning who don't deserve to win yeah. is infuriating. Oh, yeah. So that, I think, is a good definition oh. of bad king-making, where a player wins and they didn't deserve it, and I've been working... If I've been working harder for it, for example. And right? this is interesting, because really, it's already... We were talking about this a lot yesterday, yeah. um, and I think that what it boils down to is about having had a choice and having had a reason to make someone a king and I think when people play games like I think we get this we were talking about like, with Inish a lot so Inish is is, a, is a, an example of good king making I think so because A thematically it's a game whereby you are in a situation where you're all vying to be the leader of this big clan this Irish clan yeah, yeah? and so it means that one of you is going to be the leader of everyone it's not going to be who's going to be the dominant and you're going to get killed and they're going to be the rulers yeah. of the world they're going to be your leader so throughout the game it's almost like a job interview really I think it's like <laughs> you're all vying for a bit of control you might fight each other a bit but generally speaking you're just trying to be A. dominant B. 
reflective of a good leader. And I find that really, I can see how people could end up playing a game of that and then finding that someone wins and you feel like, oh, they shouldn't have. Well, Game, won, game of Thrones is a game is an example of the Game of yes. Thrones board game yeah. is an example of, of literal kingmaking. Yes, where you win in Game of Thrones if you have uh, ooh, six cities, or if the game ends, whoever has the most cities. But sit, that's entirely based like because you all own like castles or whatever it is. Um, if someone takes a castle, it's because they took it from someone else. Yeah. Like so, if play if a player allows themselves to be backstabbed, or they fail to put up enough of a defense, or they don't. You know, the classic board game thing of stop that person, they're too powerful. Yeah. And if you don't stop them, then it's your fault. They were, but also, but that's stupid for other reasons. Um, but that is frustrating because... Wait, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, no. <laughs> but, okay, no, it's an example because within Game of Thrones fiction, the king is just a desirable job. Like, everyone else who isn't the king gets screwed over. And yes. there's also the implication that the king will get their comeuppance and ruin people. Whereas in Inish, within the fiction, and I think people who don't like Inish might understand our liking of it more once we explain this yeah but it's a game where you're trying to figure out which of you not is the not is sits on the throne and dominates but which of you will be the boss which of you will make decisions and that radically transforms the experience of the game and what I find interesting about this in a game which is and I think it's the opposite I can understand it and I've got friends who hate it whenever you play Cosmic Encounter yeah and two players realise that hang on if we do this we can win as a joint win and people go no 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 that's nonsense and I can understand that because Cosmic Encounter is a game where it's who attacks who is largely arbitrary and there are no constant alliances and it's one minute you're allied with someone but the next minute you're fighting them because that's the nature of the game and that's why I don't mind it being like we're both going to win together because the whole thing feels flippant but at the same time it means you can have a situation whereby it doesn't seem to be any fairness it doesn't seem like that player won because they should have done they're just two people joined forces but within Inish right yeah what I love about it is because you get to choose who to attack it's on you to decide what's fair and what isn't and often at the start of the game as well it's like you can attack who you're going to attack and often you'll just have two players sitting either side of you and and you choose which one of them to attack and it's basically the same and it's just a case of I'm sorry it's going to be you or I'm sorry it's going to be you and The part of the game, and this is what I don't get about this, is the part of Inish is you know it's going to be a game where it's going to come down to the wire and one person might have to be kingmade slightly. So part of the game should be trying to constantly play in a way that feels fair and nice and doesn't leave anyone around the table feeling sour about you. Well, so yeah, to pick up on the conversation we were having earlier, the thing about Inish where people say they don't like it is often... There comes a point in a game of Inish when you know you've lost. You know you almost certainly won't win. You can look at your... For example, if you haven't been praying to the gods enough, which means you don't have any of the crazy divine power cards, if your board state isn't very good and other players are, you'd probably lost. But that doesn't mean that you've lost. It means your role has swapped into, well, which, which, because often it's like, well, there are two players that could win. Yeah. And surely, well, for us, it seems logical. The decision becomes, which of those players do you want to win? Who's been nicer? Who's been yeah. wiser? Generally speaking, people who end up in the running for the win are people who have been a bit of a burke to someone. <laughs> uh, and they've yes. said, I won't do this. And then they but. do. And then that's, you know, when it... Yeah. I, so I've been listening to this and thinking about this and thinking about it since it was in the in our podcast notes for like, this is what we're going to talk about. And I don't... Everything here makes sense and I relate to all of it, but I don't know if it's always been my experience with these games that like the cosmic thing, first of all, has been I feel like winning in cosmic is like climbing a very clumsy ladder. And sometimes you you get into the top and you're like, oh, I've got to do this. 
Um, and sometimes you need somebody else to help you over that. And that's when you decide to do the shared victory. And that still feels kind of fair to me because of the fact that it's like we both stumbled our way here and it was hard. And now we have to work together to jump over but the But usually hurdle. when it comes down to that, I find the only time you ever get a position where you think let's have a shared win in Cosmic is not because you really want to win. It's because you and whoever you're joining up with doesn't want someone else to win. <laughs> okay. And I think that's what it boils down to is it's less okay. at that point about like trying to get the win and more like, it doesn't matter actually. Just not this person. And maybe it's that, actually, unfortunately, maybe the people who play these games and really don't like them are the people who screw people over and then want to win and then other people team up and stop them from winning and they go, that's not fair. Also, also, the thing is, like in Cyclades or Kemet or Anish or some of these other ones... I, I don't know if I always feel like I'm king making necessarily if I'm not winning. If I'm the player who could make a move that causes one or the other person to win, I don't necessarily make those moves and tip the scales. Sometimes oh, you, I do. You might choose not to. Yeah, and it's not like I'm trying to be awkward or difficult or prolong the game. I just might not have strong feelings. But that said, there have been games I've played where it's absolutely been like, it feels in this moment, in this context, correct to do a thing that pushes the seesaw one way. I don't know. It's all so I, contextual. I do remember. I mean, you you do occasionally have emotions. <laughs> Sorry. I do sometimes. No, my, 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 my point <laughs> I remember a Twilight Imperium game, yeah. which I've mentioned on the yeah. podcast before, where I attacked you, uh, and you were minding your business. Because, <laughs> I'm, because I'm very aggressive. In, usually, space. but especially in Twilight Imperium. Because I know, because generally, players tend to, it takes a game or two of Twilight Imperium to realise how aggressive you need to be to win. Yeah. Because you need that early territory. But I attacked you, and you were so annoyed, fairly, sure, um, <laughs> that you spent the entire game, with, like, you just smashed your fleets into mine. And wars in, in Twilight Imperium are a usually costly. like... Yeah, they are. And so usually it's like you might have an, you might think it's going to be a war of attrition, but actually one of you attacks the other, the other attacks, and you both look at the board state and go, this is dumb, we should stop, <laughs> stop, because we'll both lose. I mean, there was... I, re- I still remember this, and there was an element of that where it's like, mm, well, I want to take some territory, and now I can take it from Quinn's, because that thematically makes sense, but... But... I don't know, I guess it's... Con- it, it, was, it was a form of king-making, because when yeah. you did that, neither of us were going to win. Because yeah. it was such... You, it was a horrific bite of my territory. Which is... which, which or, And I only bring this story up, because it shows that occasionally you will have feelings on who wants to win or lose. And in that case... You you didn't care about winning. It was it was a case of <laughs> wanting me to not have my regression be aggression be rewarded, which was great. It was yeah, a cool that's moment. true. That's and I think point. that's I honestly think that's when king making is the wrong word for it. I think good king making is king stopping, and I think it only works when it's when it's a game in which you have to rely on oh, some degree of trust. That's got to be of... just your friend group because you're you're describing this <laughs> as if the only scenario this occurs is if you say I hate that player. But surely there are game groups where it's but, like well, this is I like how I say, they play. Well, it. No, it's I mean to be contextual based on the group and the game and the stuff. That's I think happened. it's yes. honestly I think it's more to do with the type of game as well. I think okay. there are some games which very much gravitate, and this doesn't happen with all games. I don't think it happens with Comet as much. I think like. No. There are some games which end up being, like, rather than having one person, you can just have a series of good plays and then, oh, we couldn't, what could we have done about that? Like, Comet, you can just be like, bang, 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 I've won. Yeah. Especially because, you know, that has a 10 point limit and then 10 points, as soon as you break it, game's immediately over. Whereas Inish is like, I've got all of the criteria to win the game, and now you've got a full turn to either also get one of the criteria or take my criteria away. It leaves people so many options. So actually, I think that Inish and Cosmic Encounter both have that in common. Interesting. And it's very easy for everyone to get just on the line, yeah. and then one person pushes it over. And in Cosmic, it'll be the person who either 
uh, you know, everyone stops other people and then they don't have the ability to stop that person or like somebody who's just got a really good card that can't be stopped. But generally speaking, what it boils down to is you end up in this weird stalemate for like half an hour, 10 minutes, depends, of everyone going, but if we don't stop them this round, they're going to win. Mm. And the next round it's going, yeah. but if we don't stop them this round, they're going to win. And then you go to them, yeah, but if we don't stop you, you're going to win. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, it God, comes down yes. to basically yes. being like, well, one of you is going to win. And, and you can, you're right, you can actually. And I have had games where I just go, you know, I'm not getting involved. But I think it. I, I want to say my take on this is it depends on theme. I think the games where yes. we think kingmaking well, yeah. is okay are games. You can do right where the implication is assuming that you like thematic games. After you stop playing, the story continues, and then yes. Inish it does because you, you, the plot of Inish is you've arrived on an island. You haven't even finished exploring the island when you finish a game yeah. of Inish. And similarly in Twilight Imperium, there's the idea. There's so much emotion in that game. Or in Cosmic, there's, <laughs> you know, because it's, it is, you know, you're a species. And yeah. how you play And you is, build an empire and it's very deliberate, it's whereas societal, Cosmic is yes. very random and whereas, very chaotic. Right. Where, so it, it, there's you, something you about the story. Yeah, and there is. And I think that's it. And I feel like there's something about... And Cosmic is a game of villains, for sure. It is. Either in, like, be- Cosmic is a game of betrayals and aliens that are just flat out awful. Yeah, like, some things are just way more dangerous. It's a game which you socially balance, and it means that actually the hardest thing to do in Cosmic is to win with an amazing alien, because everyone immediately yes. goes, you're terrifying, I hate you, I'm not going to ally with you, and <laughs> you're probably screwed. But then, you know, I love in Inish that you can often have this moment where you have these two players both saying, you've got to try and help because they're going to win, and you're like, well, one of you's going to win. And then you have this moment where you think, you know what, that person, they really did batter me at one point. But when they did it, they were very fair and they apologised <laughs> and, they were, and they were decent about it. So, what right? the- and, is, and the question I have, yeah, and this is the on, more I think about this, on. is when you look at that, is that unfair? Or is that well, just part of the I game? I don't know. This, this just gets me back to thinking like it's all contextual. It depends on the game, yes, depends on the people, right. depends yeah. on the mood. And I don't know if there is a definition of good or bad king. But making. I can totally see why people would look at a game like Inish and look at a game like Kemet and, and not see that they're actually very different in that regard. One of them is a more straight war game and a more tactical and outsmarting. Whereas yeah. Inish is very much about, yes, draft well, yes, play well, but also like try not to actually make an enemy of anyone. Because when it comes down to it, like if somebody realizes they're not going to win, then you're in trouble. Yeah, I think okay. this... Is, but the funny thing about the Game of Thrones board game as well is that the Game of Thrones board game is notorious for kingmaking and hurt feelings. And I think that's really interesting because I think that's at least partially down to yeah. the theme. Like, you all know that Game of Thrones is a game of bastards and you all want to be the coolest bastard. But... And it just means that it, it ends up being hurt feelings. And the only way that wouldn't work, like, you know, and like it has stopped this system from happening is to have... Do the Game of Thrones, you know, the Castamere thing. of just being like, you know... In Inish, it's like you're not actually murdering anyone. But if you're going to make an enemy, you know, Game of Thrones, if you're going to make an enemy of a house, you have to kill them all. <laughs> because otherwise, like, and so I think that's in the context of it. It's, you know, if you're going to make enemies, either murder them all or accept that when you least expect it, they're going to come and stab you in the back. Yeah, I suppose that's it. It's the, it's, 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 it's tricky, isn't it? It's, I like, also from the perspective of the king, I think good king making is when people and people push me over the line or pull me back because I deserve it yeah right <laughs> actually you know I've realised I'm, uh. I maybe sound like my friends are all psychopaths um, but I have played games of Inish where it's been as simple as one person really wanted it one person really wanted to win and be the king yeah. and someone else had played just as well but 
they just didn't want it as much. And so I gave it to them because it's that, again, within the context, who do you give power to? Do you give power of this, like, world to the person who really wants it? Maybe not. <laughs> and that was kind of mean in some ways. Like, mm-hmm. usually in a board game, if somebody really wants a but win... Ev- but everything you're describing is to do with story. It's all to do with story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And now, now I just don't feel very aggressive anymore because I feel like I would just turn up and be in these situations and be going, hmm. And you know what? Than... That is the perfect point. We'll talk about this game in the future, but we played a, a, a new version of the classic Brass last night. Ugh. And in this game... Paul, <laughs> Paul was Paul's face just dropped. Paul was not the evil king, and I just was very mean to him, just because in that game it was capitalism, and I was just taking advantage of him. Yeah. <laughs> and in, in, in Ish, no, I'd go for the honourable person. I'd look after them, but in this game, no. So it's all about theme. Yeah, that's one to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, on look next, forward to that. That was on a lot the next of fun. podcast. We're going to. We will have hopefully played both versions of the new edition of Brass coming out, or Brass, as Matt says, Brass. and I love it. Um, yeah, so Brass Birmingham, the sequel. To Brass and Brass Lanquisher. Lanquisher. Lanquisher, the new updated version. It's pronounced Lanquisher. That's true. Uh, if you would like to come to Sharks, don't forget about that. Tickets are available on www.shutupandsitdown.com. You can be in the room as we have conversations like this. <laughs> and watch as we. Mm. Watch as we. <laughs> it turns out we can just pull this stuff out of our heads. You'll see there's, no, there's no paper, there's no script. It's just it's, us, baby. It's a nightmare. Actually, the best website is probably shucks.show. That yeah. is true. Yeah, you can go there, exists. buy some tickets, find out more about it. Or just you can watch some of the videos that we did last year. It's pretty wild, pretty loose, pretty tired, but in a brilliant, fun, way. This year should way. be bigger, a little more organized, and a little less tired on our side. Yeah. If you have a question for our mailbag that you'd like to hear us discuss, because yeah. uh, that was a fantastic question from Sam today. Um, we're always looking for questions that we can really chew over. Um, then you can email that to contact at shutupandsitdown.com. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you next time. Should we go back to the Gathering of Friends? We should and play yes, some more, yeah, no. play some more no, board games. We, I haven't eaten there Matt, for a while. The is starving. Did you both eat in Canada? Yeah, we did. did you eat we at went to, are you ready? The Hard Rock Cafe. It was <sighs> V Bad. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>